Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Al Oliver. I'm the executive director of the Visalia Rescue Mission up in Visalia. Uh, this morning, I brought uh, my very good friend, Jay Powell, with me. Jay is, uh, I told him, everyone. <laughs> if someone has a problem, they call Jay, and Jay helps fix it. Uh, he, he basically runs our physical plant, and uh, we have about oh, anywhere between 70 to 500 and 100 people working for us at any one time. We have 17 different properties, and this is the guy that makes sure they all run right. So uh, he's a, become a good friend and a fellow worker in the gospel with me, so make sure you greet him. Um, uh, some of you know that I, uh, I was Kevin's pastor. Um, I first met Kevin at uh, Ewald and Judy's house uh, many, many years ago. It was in, uh, I think, 1985, 1986. And uh, we sat around the table, uh, and I met Ewald. He's recently gone to be with the Lord. Many of you know him and Judy. I don't know if Lisa's here or not, but uh, Lisa, are you here? No. And uh, so I met that family, and I thought, you know, I think I like this. I'm, I'm going to come to this church. Well, anyway, Kevin... I'm hearing a little reverb. Can you maybe dial it? The what? There's a little reverb. A little, oh, a little reverb, yeah, going on. Um, I met Kevin. He was 17. And um, he had a huge impact on my son's life. And just to tell you how the, the gospel works and how relationships work, um, my son was, I think, 13 years old. He met Kevin. Kevin was six, uh, 15 and Kevin had an impact on my son's life. My son is now a professor of oceanography at the University of Delaware. And every week he has about 30 of his graduate students over in his house explaining to them why uh, this universe really does have a purpose. And so he's working with international students um, and he is teaching them the gospel. He goes all over the world and a lot of that has to do with your pastor that I met when he was a teenager who had an effect on my son's life. So I just want you to know, you never know um, what the Lord is going to do. So uh, thank you for sharing this time with me. A few weeks ago, Kevin called me and uh, told me about what was happening with him. And he reminded me that when he was a teenager, he observed me going through cancer. Uh, I had been at the church about a year and a half, and I was diagnosed with cancer. And then shortly after that, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I don't know how many of you know the story, but uh, we both had uh, surgery very close to one another. I had surgery and radiation, and then she had surgery and chemotherapy, and we sort of timed it back and forth. When I was up, she was down, and when she was down, I was up, and then our kids were watching this whole thing, and it was freaking them out, wondering whether or not their parents were going to die or not. And we were doing this in front of the whole church. And so it was just a really interesting time in our life. And so Kevin called me and reminded me of those times, and I said, I'm trying not to think about those days anymore, <laughs> Kevin. And he says, well, he says, I got to watch you go through it. And he says, and I watched how the church responded. And he says, can you do this for me? Can you come and share with the church about what it's like from your point of view? And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Um, I'm not the hero of the story. 
But at the same time, uh, he wanted me to come and uh, share with you. And then I'm, when this is done this morning, we're going to go over to Kevin's house. I'm going to spend a little time together and spend some time praying with him and encouraging him. And uh, we're just going to catch up on some old times again. So I thought I'd share with you from uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn there to 2 Corinthians. Um, when I was talking to Kevin, I said, you know, I think I'm going to teach out of 2 Corinthians because that book is probably the most underappreciated book in the New Testament. And it really is a pastoral epistle. When you think of the pastoral epistles, you often think of First and Second Timothy and Titus. But if you really want to find out what it's like to be a pastor, go to Second Corinthians, because in the book of Second Corinthians, we learn more about the personal data from the Apostle Paul and what he went through and what it was like in the church than anything else. He discloses more information about himself and how he thinks about things and how he feels about things and what happened to them. And the, the Corinthian church was no picnic. And he loved those people. He really, really loved them a lot. But they were also a headache. You know, they had this tendency to always just drift off and to go after every shiny little thing that came their way. And so Paul was always trying to correct them all the time, which is what a pastor is supposed to do. He's not only supposed to lead his sheep and to love his sheep and to teach the sheep, but he's also supposed to correct them. We like 2 Corinthians, but we don't know a lot about it. We like certain verses in 2 Corinthians. We like to pick them out of context. And they're actually very helpful. We, we've all heard this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. You know, you've read that one, right? Yeah, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's a favorite of ours, by the way. That's the mission. We like 4.17, but we have this, or 4.7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or we have this treasure in jars of clay, you know, where we're all a bunch of crackpots, right? Yeah, you've heard that one before. Yeah. Or 317 and 18, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, right? You've heard that one before. Chapter 12 has Paul's famous book where he says, you know, um, this ministry has been really tough, and so God did me a favor, and he gave me a peek into heaven. And he took me up there for a little while, and I saw stuff that I don't even have words for. But what it reminded me of is that this really is worth it. This world really isn't our home. But there's something waiting for us that is inexplicable. And it is so amazing, I can't supply the language for it. So you have those things. But we also miss the big story. We miss the narrative. We miss the logic of the letter. And I want to spend a little time talking with you about that and kind of use it as a lens to give you some perspective about the time you're about to go through. Uh, I don't know how, many, how long you've known about Kevin and his surgery. What, a couple months? couple of weeks. Yeah, it was really fast. And so I guess I'm here to remind you that it'll be okay. In, in comparison to eternity, it's a speed bump. 
but it's a little frightening. I, I worked for 11 years going around to churches that were having, uh, going through certain crises, whether they had an ill pastor or whether they were having financial problems or whether they were having uh, maybe a, prob a pastor had disqualified himself and they needed someone to come in. And so 11 years I worked with churches all over the state, spent a lot of mornings going into churches of people I didn't know and trying to lead them out of difficulty. Um, if there's one thing I learned, remember that this is the church of Jesus Christ and we will always be the church of Jesus Christ. The ministry doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him and it'll be fine. But sometimes people get a little nervous. One of the things I've learned over the years is that sometimes people get nervous and they get afraid because they don't know what's gonna happen next and they start having a lot of anxiety and you know how it comes out? is fear and sometimes anger. I remember be, uh, before, and, I, and I'm not complaining about this, I didn't really find, I didn't really realize this until after working um, in the rescue mission for several years, but a lot, I ran into a lot of people who were really angry. Why are they angry? They're afraid. And the way they, when they're afraid, they want to keep people away from them, and the way to keep people away from me is to feel angry. And so sometimes, even when I was in the midst of chemotherapy, I had people come up to me and be angry at me, and I couldn't figure it out. You might be feeling that. I'll just kind of hold that thought for a little bit, and we'll talk about that. But I want to remind you of something very, very important. When you're going through testing, whether it's personal for Kevin, or whether it's personal for you, do not miss the opportunity that what Christ is doing right now for you in your church and in yourself is a very sanctifying moment. It's sanctifying. He's making you more like him. And the thing that motivates us more than anything else to pay attention to the Lord is pain and uncertainty. He's kind of got your attention, doesn't he? You know, when times are easy and times are going good, it's easy not to pay attention. But he's got this. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But he's got this. Everything is fine and everything will be fine. No, we don't know what's going to happen with Kevin. Uh, I talked to him yesterday, and I said, hey, how you feeling? And he says, well, I went on a ride with a couple of my sons. I shouldn't have done that. I said, yeah, when well, they've been digging around in your back and taking kidneys out, you probably shouldn't go out for a ride. Yeah, it sounds so much like Kevin. I said, no, don't do that, Kevin. It's a bad idea. He says, okay, I'm learning. Uh, this is a very sanctifying time for him. God is proving him and testing him, he's doing it for Rebecca and the kids, and he's doing it for you too. Don't miss the opportunity to grow and to change. It's gonna stress you. What does the old, song, the old poem say? How he ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects. You know, he, God will be ruthless in his sanctification for you. So 
I want to share with you a little bit out of First Second Corinthians two one through fourteen. So I'm going to have you. Uh, before we stand for the reading of the God's Word, let me give you a couple things to pay attention to. You, Like I said, the Corinthian church was both a great blessing and a great headache for Paul. He had come to see, he had been with them at least twice. And he had written them at this point at least twice. Now, we, we were pretty sure that Paul had written to the Corinthian church at least four times. We only have two of those. First and Second Corinthians, but there was a letter before First Corinthians, and then there was a, a, a what it calls a severe letter that was in between First and Second Corinthians, and we have Second Corinthians. So this is the last communication Paul has with him, and he probably goes to see them one more time. He had brought them the gospel on his second missionary journey. He had just come from Macedonia, Philippi, where he got beaten up really bad and thrown in jail. He preached the gospel. You know, he, he, he tossed out a demon, preached the gospel. Everybody got mad, beat him up, and threw him in jail. That's, that's a real good response to your first sermon, you know. Yeah, we're going to throw you in jail. It's like Jesus' first sermon in, in Nazareth. You know, he preaches a sermon. They take him outside. They want to throw him off a cliff. You know, said, okay, if you feel bad about your servant, just remember they're not trying to throw you off a cliff after you're done. So the point is, Paul was the one that brought them the gospel. He reminds them in the, in the passage that he had also had a very terrible time in Asia. Now, Asia would be Asia Minor in the province of Galatia. Galatia is a great big area. It's in modern-day Turkey right now. And he had also brought the gospel, and something amazing happened, and he had healed some people, and what ended up happening is he ended up stoning him and, and came close to killing him. Some people said they actually he did actually kill him, and that's when the Lord took him up to heaven and showed him what was going on. We don't know that for sure, but when we read through this, I want you to pay attention to the word comfort. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians 1. You'll hear that word comfort over and over. And I want to sort of set the stage for you. When we think of the word comfort, we think of, of feeling comfortable, meaning that there's no distress. You know, it's it's the right temperature inside. I'm not hungry. Uh, the chair is soft. Uh, you know, the, the, the blankets are warm, the pillow feels good, I feel comfortable. That's not what the word means. That's what we've made it mean over the, year, that, over the years. The word comfort, comfort actually comes from two Latin words, cum forte, which means with strength. If you are going to comfort someone, the classical meaning of the term is to help make them strong. That's what it means. Now, the word in the English word has changed over the years, but the Greek word for that, that you look in the original, is the word parakalesis. It's the word we use for the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It means literally to call alongside. And so, whether it's the words cum forte or it's the word parakalesis, it means to help make someone strong, or to bring strength. That's what comfort means. So pay attention to that word. You're going to hear that 10 times in the first few verses. The other words I want you to pay attention to 
are the words affliction, suffering, despair, and death. Those are also in these verses we're going to read. Now, if you're surrounded by affliction, suffering, despair, and death, you're going to need a little comfort, right? <laughs> okay, so that's the context. And then there's one word I want you to pay attention to also. And by the way, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. How many of you have English Standard? New American Standard? Which, okay. All right, well, it, New American, it's, you'll, I mean, uh, English standard, you're going to see the word boast. And when we hear the word boast in English, we often think about bragging, right? That's not what this word means. It means something that you're so delighted in, you just can't stop talking about it. You know, like, well, we all went to camp last week, and the Lord did wonderful things, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. That's the word kaukama, and it, and it, it doesn't mean to be pridefully boasting. It means to be, I, it was just so great, I can't stop talking about it. So pay attention to those words. So I'd like you to stand up now, and I'm going to read the Word of God, and uh, just listen to these words. And I'm going to read verses... 1 through 14, and you're going to be standing there for a while, but follow along with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And by the way, Paul liked to bring guys along when he did his ministry. That's why I brought Jay today, so he's my Timothy today. <laughs> to the church of God, that is, at Corinth, with the saints, who are in the whole of Achaia. And Achaia would what we'd be called southern Greece today. That was a whole Roman province. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. There's the first time. Who comforts us in all, in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now that sounds like a mouthful, and we'll unpack that in a few moments. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Now, if that sounds confusing, it is. You're not crazy, and we'll unpack that a little bit later. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know <coughs> that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us 
by prayer so that we so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many for our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity not by earthly wisdom but by grace by the grace of god and supremely so toward you, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us, and we will boast of you. You may be seated. The situation was this. The Corinthian church was really prone to getting distracted and going astray. Paul had invested so much in them. But when he would leave, things would go off the rails. He would find out about people who get involved in all sorts of weird stuff all sorts of immorality. They would start worshiping idols again. They would have fights with one another all the time about what was this or what was that. They would say things in 1 Corinthians like, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. They were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And we would come back, he would say, okay, let's focus you back on the right things. And they would get focused again and then he would leave and it would all go off the rails again. In fact, what was even happening, and you can see this later in 2 Corinthians, that these other people would follow up and follow behind Paul, and, and Paul called them, quote unquote, super apostles. And these were people who spoke better than Paul, they were more handsome than Paul, they were able to engage people better than Paul. And they would say, no, 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 Paul, yeah, he's kind of got it right, but he's, he's really not much. You really need to pay attention to us if you're really going to be successful Christians. Uh, this is what you ought to do. And they'd say, well, he doesn't got the gospel quite right. And, and they would change it. And people go, oh, okay. And they just kind of follow along. And he would always have to go back and correct them. Well, we get the benefit of these letters to find out what some of those things were. But what was happening is that these, these so-called false teachers, super apostles would come in behind them and they would just get people going in the wrong direction. The truth was, Paul would go through terrible suffering and they would know about it and these super apostles would come behind him and say, see, that wouldn't be happening to him unless he was doing something wrong. And people are like, yeah, I mean, here he is, he's supposed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's getting beat up, and he's getting thrown in jail, and all this weird stuff is happening around here. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you don't understand. If you are teaching the gospel, the world isn't going to like you. You're going to run into suffering. You're going to run into difficult circumstances. And, these, and these, all these false teachers were coming and say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand that. God wants you to be comfortable. 
God wants you to have everything you want. Sound kind of familiar? If you were really faithful to God, no, you wouldn't be having all that trouble. Look at Paul. He's messed up. Paul talks about it in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, you know, when you go around and you teach the gospel, and you preach the gospel clearly, one of two things are going to happen. People are either going to hate it or they're going to love it. Most of them are going to hate it because you're talking to them about things like sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's going to be like an aroma. And to some people, it's going to smell like death. And to other people, it's going to smell like life. But we're still going to do it and understand that part and parcel of being in the gospel ministry and being people of the truth is you're going to catch a lot of hard things. But God will take those things and he will turn them and he will use them and he will turn the meaning of that toward his purposes and his glory. This is why I'm reminding you, this is a sanctifying time in the life of your pastor. God's hurting him on purpose. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. When you come face to face with your own mortality and you start counting your days and you say, okay, how many days of effective ministry do I have left? Because when they're done, now I'm going to face the Lord and I need to account for him. That happened to me in my early 30s. Okay, I have so many days left. How am I going to use them? How am I going to spend them? What can I do? How can I focus my life and do the most important thing for the sake of Jesus Christ? Because I can't do everything. I can only do what God has given me. That's what's going through Kevin's mind right now. That's what ought to be going through your mind right now. And you ought to be thinking about what can I do to help him? Because we're not here for our own ease. We're here to bring a message of the gospel. And it's going to leave an aroma. And it's going to smell like life to some. And it's going to smell like death to others. Jesus would allow Paul to go through terrible suffering and abuse. And then he would rescue him out of it. And people would see it and go, wow. And then he would like, he'd do it right over again, over and over and over again. And Paul recounts this in these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the source of comfort or the source of bringing strength. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And when you hear the word comfort, literally it means with strength or to bring strength. How can I 
have strength to do what God has me for the sake of the gospel, even in my weakened condition. See, when you get to the end of 2 Corinthians 12, where, talks, where Paul talks about he had his great vision of heaven, and he said, just to keep me from being proud, God sent me a thorn in the, fret, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Literally, he uses the word ankalos, which is the word for angel, which means messenger. Some people think that it's actually a person that followed Paul around. I kind of agree with that. It just kept irritating him and trying to stop him from doing what he was doing. And three times Paul went to the Lord and says, hey, can you take this knucklehead away from me? I don't know, knucklehead is my translation. Uh, <laughs> a little loose translation there. But he's, and the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, okay, I'll put up with the pain, I'll put up with the suffering because I know it does something to me that I wouldn't have been done to me in any other way. I had cancer in my 30s, and my wife had cancer in her 30s, and we had it at the same time. At one point, we thought both or either of us were going to die. Our kids were going, ah! <laughs> but at the same time, we would not be the people that we are today had we not gone through this. It's a perfecting and sanctifying time. It's both to be endured and welcomed at the same time. That is the normal posture of the Christian. The pain and suffering, particularly for the sake of the gospel. Doesn't James say, count it all joy? Yeah, it's kind of hard to when you're in the middle of it. But that's what God is doing. See, I, I tell our folks at the mission all the time, you know, you can't change the past, but God changes the meaning of the past. And all the stuff that you went through, and all the stuff that you failed at, and all the stuff that you've endured now suddenly takes on a meaning, and it becomes equipment for you to pass on the grace of God for someone else. Isn't that amazing? All the time that Joseph spent in jail in Egypt and all the stuff that he went through, you think he was in jail for maybe close to 20 years? And it was, he was innocent? That's enough time to get pretty bitter. That's when God prepared him to be the prime minister of Egypt and to be virtually the savior of the nation. You savior with a small s. But the point is, you can't change the past, but God changes the meaning of the past. And everything that happens to you has a purpose. And it accrues to the, your benefit and accrues to the benefit of those around you through whom you're communicating the grace of God. Nothing ever goes to waste. He says, God comforts us in all our affliction. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he gives us supernatural strength in all of our affliction. And no, notice the dynamic here. He says, we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So 
what he's saying is that the normal progress of the Christian life is when you're going through affliction. Instead of becoming inward, become outward and start comforting those who are also in, in affliction. And what will happen is that you will receive comfort in doing that. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? But that's what will happen. Some of the most comforting people that I've ever met in my life are the ones that have been off the street for two or three months because they've gone through terrible affliction. He describes this dynamic. He says it comes from God, but in, chapter, in verse 5 he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, The more Jesus presented the good news to people, two things happened. Many believed and many opposed, right? Just split the society. That's the effect of the gospel. That is to be expected. And not only that, but when it happens, this stuff is going to happen to you too to make you weak. And Paul, and to pick up the thought again at the end of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, oh, and by the way, uh, me getting hammered by this thorn in the flesh all the time has made me weaker and weaker and weaker, but guess what? God's strength is perfected in my weakness, so now that I'm weak, the, the power of God shows through, and so now you know the famous verse, when I am weak, then I am, what's the next word? Strong, that's right. I'm out of the way, and so God will do what he's going to do, and I can't take credit for any of it except that I tried to be faithful. Another saying I tell my people, God has never called you to success. He has only called you to faithfulness. Let him take care of success. You just be faithful. So as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, when we see that divide in our life, the effect that our lives have as we live gospel living, that some are accepting, some are rejecting. To some, you're the fragrance of life. To some, you're the fragrance of death. He says, as that is going on, we share in a suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly too in comfort too. And I don't know how that works, but it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that when you are a community of people who are suffering the same things you are, somehow God spreads his power abundantly in your hearts and you have joy in the middle of it. And there is no explanation for that except it is a ministry of the Spirit of God in you. So when you go under suffering, understand that God is the source of your strength and that he supplies a comforting strength to you and those around you as you live your gospel life, even in the midst of suffering. And to expect that to some, it's going to be very positive, and to some, it's going to be very negative. I worked with churches before where 
people who saw a pastor going through a, a very, very difficult time, they got so worried about, well, what's gonna happen to the church organization? We're gonna lose people. Our budget's gonna go down. No one's gonna be coming around anymore. How are we gonna keep the doors open? How are we gonna keep the lights on? I don't know. God knows. But people get so caught up into that and they think, they're thinking about the wrong things. But people say, well, yeah, 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 but let's be practical. I mean, we gotta keep the, we gotta keep the bills paid, right? Well, yeah. Just keep being faithful. That'll happen. Don't worry about the wrong stuff. Don't worry about the organization or the building or the grounds. Don't worry about that. Just be faithful. Later on, we'll speak to that a little bit more. He says, look, and here's the dynamic that's amazing. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. Now, I could never figure that verse out for the longest time that God would allow me to be afflicted so that you could receive strength. But that's exactly what God does. Now that is counterintuitive. God allows some people to go through pain and suffering so that other people might see the power of God in their lives so that strength can be brought to their lives. And that's exactly what God is doing with Kevin right now. He is allowing him to be afflicted for your benefit. Whoa. That's a different thought. Don't miss the opportunity for sanctification. Don't worry about the wrong stuff. How can we as a church grow in the midst of this knowing that right now our pastor is weak. Your faithfulness is more important to God and frankly more important to Kevin than his own health. That's why he asked me to come here and share this with you. Don't worry about me. You be faithful. That's why God does this. That's why God does this. If we are afflicted, it's for you. And if we are comforted, meaning that strength is brought to us, that's also for you. God is doing this for you. He is allowing Kevin and his family to be afflicted for your sake and for his sake because God is doing something powerful. You don't know what it is yet. That happened to me when I was in my 30s. And guess what? Someone who watched me do that went through that and decided he wanted to come into ministry and he's here, right? And get, look at all the people that he's affecting. 
You can't make that up. And then Kevin had a great, had a great effect on my son's life. And he's traveling around the world bringing the gospel. You know, my son was telling me, he, he was lecturing in China not too long ago. And he said the, the Chinese government had people following my son around because they knew he was a Christian. And a bunch of uh, students actually kidnapped my son. I shouldn't say kidnapped. They took him for a drive. And they went out to some place um, near the harbor uh, to an open spot, to a parking lot where they knew that no one was listening and they asked my son to tell them about Jesus in China. Because I had cancer and it affected Kevin and Kevin came here. And Kevin affected my son and my son went to China and shared Christ with a bunch of Chinese students who wanted to know about Jesus. Can't make that stuff up. Don't tell me affliction and suffering are just about me. There's a story here that we have no idea that is unpredictable and counterintuitive. No one would write it in a script, but God knows exactly what he's doing all the time. And there are people who know Christ today that will be in heaven for eternity because of these events, and there are many that are yet to come. So don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. Or our expectation for you is unshaken. That as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And then he gives you an illustration. He says, let me tell you a story about what happened to me. Be aware of what happened to us in Asia. And I think he's probably talking about his first uh, missionary journey when they went to Lystra and they were preaching the gospel and then they, they healed this guy who couldn't walk and then they tried to make them gods. They called them Zeus and Hermes. Remember that? And they said, no, 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 that, we're not them. And then they ended up dragging them outside the city and trying to kill them by throwing stones on them. They got stoned. It doesn't mean they got drugged up. It means they got stoned. <laughs> this actually happened once. I was teaching at the mission once. It says that, yeah, and Paul and Barnabas got stoned. It says, really, what were they taking? Says, no, 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 <laughs> no. They weren't stoned, they were stoned. Yeah. It's all in the context, you know. <laughs> we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, he is not saying this like, oh, yeah, boy, we really got beat up. In and he says, no, this is exciting. You need to understand what happened here. We thought we were going to die. Isn't that great? We thought we were going to die. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. It was way past ridiculous. There was no way we were going to get out of this. <coughs> we, were going to be, we were burdened beyond our strength. <coughs> we despaired of life itself. We thought, okay, that's it. It's the end of the trail. We're going directly to heaven from here. That's it. 
Here come the rocks. Indeed, we had felt we had received the sentence of death. That's not what happened. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Now, if I were at this point, I'd say, well, did you have to be so dramatic about a God? I mean, did you have to have, actually have rocks hitting me in the head to get my attention? Well, yeah. It was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Even if I was going to die in that situation, I wasn't to worry about it. Because if God wanted to raise me from the dead, he could. And he wanted to take me to heaven, that'd be okay too. Some people think that when Paul was stoned in, uh, in Lystra, he actually did die. That's unclear in the text, who don't know. That's why when I think, I think Paul, that's I think when he was caught up into the third heaven, like it says in 2 Corinthians 12, where he says, and Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, Paul didn't even know. He says, and I saw stuff that I don't even have language to supply for this. But he says, this is what he did. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. One way or another, God's going to deliver Kevin from this, and he's going to deliver you too. This is his. It's not the end of the trail. He will deliver us. But he says this. You must also help. And he uses an interesting word there for help. It's a long compound word. But it means literally hyper overflowing with activity. You must hyper overflow with activity doing what? The next word is prayer. That helps because God's paying attention. You must help us. You must hyper help us. You must hyper overflowing with activity praying for us. Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf. What? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted through us, through the prayers of many. What he's saying is that while you're in the midst of conflict, while you're in the midst of affliction, while you're in the midst of pain, God's going to supply his comfort, 
and God is going to supply his strength, and God is going to supply everything that needs to get done to get the ministry done for your benefit and for the ones who are going through the difficulty. But you can help by praying to God that it'll produce more people that will see that. Presumably, they'll come to know God, and they themselves will begin to give thanks for the same thing, and they'll realize, oh, wait a minute, there's something bigger here going on than just a tragedy. God is at work. And if many are praying that through the difficulty, many will come to Christ and the the consequences are eternal. Don't miss the opportunity. And then he says this. For our boast is this. Remember when I said boast doesn't mean bragging. It just means something that you were just really delighted with and you just can't stop talking about it. That even in the midst of difficulty, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity, literally the word is hagias, which means holiness, and with godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, that you're not seeing this just trying to analyze the situation to see how can I get out of this in a practical way, I'm just not using my, my, but I'm looking at it through the lens of God's grace. Okay, what's God doing in this thing? What's he doing? And supremely so toward you, for we are not writing to you anything other than you read or understand, and I hope you will fully understand. He says, you need to understand, this is a lens through which you need to look at this. God's doing something powerful here. Oh, it's painful but it's powerful. I hope you'll understand that. That on the day of our Lord Jesus, it's the last day, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. When the whole story gets revealed, And we see all the connections that were made because of things that just seemed like difficulty when in reality God was at work all the time taking things like cancer and chemotherapy and radiation and death and life and pain and suffering and abuse and failure. And he rolls them all up and you see the last day of how all the connections were made, you're going to sit back and you're going to go, wow, I had no idea. And I can't stop talking about it. And I can't stop praising Jesus for it, that even in the midst of all this, there was something that was going on that was beyond my comprehension. Don't get lost in what might happen. I told this to Kevin. He says, now what should I do? I said, look, Kevin, first of all, don't be a hero. You're not the savior, Jesus is the savior. He goes, yeah, yeah, you told me that a million times. I said, well, Kevin, I tell you again, you're not the guy that's making it happen, he is. I made a mistake. I thought I had to be Dudley Do-Right. Three weeks after I had cancer, 
I had my cancer surgery and I wasn't even done with my radiation, I was back in the pulpit. I was terrible. I was boring people. People were like either horrified or bored, which is bad things. I shouldn't have done it. I was trying to be a good soldier. But I was trying to do it because, look, I get in trouble all the times for saying stuff in front of people that I shouldn't say, but I'll say this anyway. I thought I had a pure motive. I just wanted to look good. I wanted people to feel like I was there for them. And you know what? That wasn't my job. That's Jesus' job. So I said, you know what? Take your time. Now, the mistake I made was that I was trying to be the hero. And then when my wife got sick, I didn't leave the pulpit. I stayed in the pulpit. And I didn't care for her the way I should have. And we were doing this up and down thing. Like I said, she was, you know, I was getting my radiation and she was between her chemotherapy and, and then we would do this. And she was in her chemotherapy and I would be out of radiation and we were doing this alternating thing. And I was trying to pastor the church the whole time. I shouldn't have done it. So I told Kevin, I said, look, don't be a hero. Pay attention to your family. Pay attention to Rebecca, your kids. Get well. I've been a professional athlete. And I learned right away, you send an athlete on the field that is wounded and he can't play, you're not doing him any good and you're not doing the team any good. So just go sit, sit on the bench for a while and, and get well. I want you to do that for him. Let him get well. You know, he was telling me how much it hurt to go riding around in the car. And I said, well, Kevin, they've been kind of digging around there in your back for a while. I said, yeah, it would hurt if you'd go for a Jeep ride. You know, that's not a good idea. You know, I don't know that he went for a Jeep ride. But point is, give him the time to heal. My response to you, be super overflowing, praying for Kevin and his family, but for the ministry of this church. Be involved. Share the gospel. Teach the gospel. Do all of those things that you would do for the sake of Christ, whether he was here or not. His ministry doesn't belong to him. It belongs to Jesus. And you're here to carry it out. And God will give you, he is the God of all comfort. He will bring you strength. He will bring you whatever you need to accomplish his will. And you have no idea the effect that this will have on eternity. What you do here could possibly have worldwide reverberations just because you decided that you were going to be faithful even in the midst of a time of affliction. Make sure you do that. Well, my time has passed. Why don't we pray and we'll let you go. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for your kindness to us. And thank you for working in areas that we
wouldn't even think of. Lord, you haven't called us to be successful. You've only called us to be faithful. You'll take care of the success. I pray, Lord, that in Kevin's life and in Rebecca's life and in his children's life, you would, you would work and do something powerful that would add grace to their lives and give them tools and ability and comfort and strength that would allow them to be even more effective for the sake of the kingdom. And I pray, Lord, for this gathering of your people here, that in this valley, in this place, the gospel might shine out in truth and in power and have an effect that's unstoppable. And when we all get together and we look back, we'll have a time of godly boasting of remembrance and saying, remember when that happened and how powerfully God worked through it. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.